Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. You are listening to the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast with John Pemba and Andrew Cooper. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back into the Quick Out Fantasy Football Podcast. John and Pemby here with Andrew Cooper breaking down today best ball tight ends. Coop, this is a this is like a tee ball for you, right? Like you're stepping out the bat, they're throwing underhand to you, the ball's on a tee. Like tight ends is your jam. This is what we do, man. Feel a little pressure though to kill it with this one, being known as the tight end guy. But I think we've done a bit of research on this topic, so we should be all right with this. One. Yeah, there's been at least 35 articles written, I think, and about a hundred <laughs> Reddit threads and a thousand Twitter threads, I think, by you regarding the tight end position so far this year, especially when it comes to tight end rankings, dynamic tier rankings for tight ends, yin yang tight end article. Sleeper tight ends, top tier tight ends, what makes an elite tight end, you name it. Basically, Coop's covered it. So now looking at best ball tight ends and the approach and the strategy we take. The underdog just released their third puppy. I don't know how much longer that one's even going to be up for. People are just attacking that the entries Dude, I, there. I got to get in that right now, actually. You're, I didn't know it was up. It's I almost, was, I it's al- not only is it up, it's almost full. They launched it. August 1st, we're recording here on Friday, August 5th. And at my la- at the last check, I'll log in and check it right now. They're like, they're 41% filled already. So in four days, they've almost wow. filled it. First place, 200K still. So the third rendition of the puppy still paying out a hefty first round pay, the first overall payout there. So definitely got to get in there. I mean, if this fills by the weekend, I bet it would. They may give us a puppy four. I mean, there's still so much time before the start of the football season like why not but that bb3 is still out there best ball millionaire best ball mania 3 is still out there 25 dollars entry so this knowledge we've already gone over each position how we attack players we like different tiers and we'll wrap up that series today with the tight end position coop so i'll let you kick us off however you feel is uh, best dude i just jumped into a puppy while you were saying that and it said waiting for seven people and now we're waiting for one person while you were finishing. Are you doing that, the so. eight hour or the 30 second? I did the slow one. I did the slow one. I'm okay. not going to do a 30 second one more on the podcast. I was going to say, I mean, listen, it would be interesting <laughs> for you to do a live. Yeah. I you mean, know, we'll probably do that for one show. Truthfully, we'll hop in one yeah. and see how our draft strategies turn out on the podcast. But yeah, eight hour pick clock or 30 second pick clock, however you want. Those are available. God, I, rem- I distinctly remember once that you were doing a mock draft while we were playing Call of Duty one time. Yes. So let's not pretend like that kind of stuff is impossible. Oh, no, very much. Yeah, yeah. 
John, why are you not following us? I'm on the clock. So give me, just throw a grenade. <laughs> As our car careens over a cliff because you had to take some, exactly. some, hit some relief pitcher. You Listen, know? I was the, I was the bait for our Call of Duty team. So I, I ran out there. I was the general, but I was also the first one to draw out the fire. So you guys knew where to go. So we got a lot of kills and we got a lot of revives too. So <laughs> yes. Yeah, good strategy good. for the squad. But yeah, let's get into it. I just want to say real quick with the things you mentioned, obviously you mentioned the, the yin yang tight end, all those articles, those are geared more towards redraft. And in my opinion, redraft is a lot easier for the tight end position, especially because you kind of have only one guy you're starting. You only have to set one guy and you don't need to roster a bunch. So for me, it's basically in that format, you draft an elite guy or you wait and take two, right? In this, especially we're talking about underdog where you're drafting 18 players, you need to have two or three tight ends on your roster. That's the sweet spot. One is not enough. Four you can get away with, but we've already put articles out that kind of mathematically show the highest win rates are teams with two or three tight ends. And the general strategy is if you get a high-end guy, you only draft two, you just find a fill-in type guy for his bye week, you've already committed to that player. Or if you wait, maybe you draft three. So that's kind of what we're talking about with this best ball format. It's going to be a little different than redraft because some of the guys we would typically fade, we might be interested in best ball. Specifically... Touchdown dependent guys, right? Yeah, Touchdown re- dependent re-draft, guys. Redraft in one tight end usually, unless you're doing your yin yang strategy because you're you're trying to. I, I know you disagree with this. Your most people will draft one and fill their bench with running backs and wide receivers, then go to the waiver wire when they need that bye week fill in. Right, but that's the thing is, I do agree with that strategy up to a certain point. If you're going for the high end guys, I agree with that. But for me, if I'm going for if I'm waiting and I'm taking like the tight end nine as my starting tight end. That means I've already taken you. If I we're talking about pick 114 at tight end nine here, that means I've already drafted like four running backs and five wide receivers by that point. So for me, I don't necessarily need to draft 17 wide receivers and fill my bench with them. If I wait on tight end, I can draft two. That's my opinion in redraft. But again, this is a totally different beast. We're talking you need to get two or three of these guys. So why don't we get started with some ADP for based on Underdog, which is that's the site we use. If you're not on Underdog, make sure you go out promo code alarm when you sign up. They'll match up to $100 in bonus credits with your first deposit. Underdog is the one we stick by. It's my favorite one. So that's what we use for ADP. So why don't we kick it off, John? Yeah, great mobile app for Underdog. Oh, it's so aesthetically pleasing. Yes, very easy to use. So they also have pickums. We, you know, for baseball, whenever football, will do it too. We have pickum articles out there, so it's not just best ball drafts. They have, they offer a lot over an underdog. So check it out. We will start off. We'll talk about the top tier guys here. We will go top five tight ends. Does that work for you, Coop? Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty clear tier. It so. is a pretty clear tier. We have Travis Kelsey first tight end off the Mark Andrews, Cal Pitts, Darren Waller, and George Kittle are your top five tight ends off the board. Kelsey with an average ADP at the end of the first round. Andrews there in the second. Kyle Pitts in the third. Waller and Kittle in that fourth and fifth round range. Yeah, now here's my philosophy on the very top tight ends. This is the same for redraft and for this. And that's that there has never been a tight end that has finished as the number one overall flex player. Now, I obviously understand positional scarcity. I mean, I'm a huge tight end guy, and I talk about how you can get an advantage from that. But in these big tournaments and in general, you really do need to score the most points. So for me, I'm not drafting a tight end until all the players are off the board that I think have the best 
chance of being the number one overall flex player. And what I mean by that is when you start a guy at the flex, obviously it can be a running back, wide receiver, or tight end. Last year, Cooper Cup was the number one guy. We've seen Antonio Brown be it. We've seen, obviously, a ton of running backs be it. We've never seen a tight end. So for me, I don't find myself getting Kelsey very often at his ADP at the swing at pick 12 or even Mark Andrews really in the second round because there's just too many guys that I have on my list that I believe could be the top wide receiver or the top running back. Now, John, I don't know about you, whether you are taking Kelsey or Andrews, but you really have to take them in the first or second round if you want those two. I only take them if I have a design plan for a stack. Like drafting Kelsey, knowing I'm drafting Mahomes, know I'm drafting like Juju. If I'm going in on a Chiefs stack, then I'm, I have to commit that first round selection to Travis Kelsey. If I want to commit to a Ravens stack with Lamar Jackson, then you know you have to go ahead and get Andrews and Bateman. That's kind of how I approach it. Otherwise, I don't generally find myself drafting any one of those top three or four guys as a one-off. It, obviously, that is draft board dependent. There are times where you're just in a spot where it's like, all right, I'm in running back dead zone here. I don't really need a wide receiver. I could get my third wide receiver. Darren Waller or George Kittle on the board. Sure, I'll go in that direction. Those are the conversations I've had sort of with myself. I think of the 30 or so best balls that I've done so far, maybe I have a couple of shares of both of those guys, but I've largely been taking my tight ends and in the tier or two after this. Yeah, now the one thing about that, and I do agree with that strategy that you want to stack, reaching erases some of that value. And the problem that I run into with Travis Kelsey especially is that you need to take him around the swing, right? So we're talking pick 11 or 12. When you go and look at, so say you're at the swing and you have pick 12 and 13, his ADP is pick 50. Your next two picks at the swing are 36 and 37, and then it doesn't come back to you until 60. So it almost forces you to reach for Mahomes at that 3-4 swing ahead of his ADP or risk not getting him on the way back. That's, well, that's, what that's, it's like. yeah, you're, that's you're, the rub for... You're for, yeah, committing to the stack, basically. Yeah, it's um, like you're committing or, to reach for Mahomes. Yeah, you're or you're to... taking... You know, we're assuming you're drafting at ADP, but you could take Kelsey early. You could take him 7-6 if, if you're in that range to help you out a little bit there if, if that's how you plan on drafting your team. But yes, I listen, him. I don't mind drafting a player early if it's the scenario that you just described where it's, listen, I'm not picking again for 20 picks. This guy's not going to be there, but this is a guy that I have as my top quarterback, my second quarterback, or fits the stack that I'm trying to build. Like, I'm okay making that play. Now, if it was a scenario where maybe Mahomes was like three rounds later, then sure, you're not reaching that much. But if you're going to reach a round I'm yeah. fine with that. Round and a half, I'm fine with that if you don't think that they're going to be there for you. That, does, that doesn't change my opinion too much. Yeah, and that's the thing is that it is, it is just over a round and you, you can be fairly confident that he'll be there. So it's, that's a very safe strategy you can bank on doing that bing bang. So it's pretty reasonable to do. With Mark Andrews, he had an amazing year last year. The concern for me is that Greg Roman's never been, basically every single season except last year, he's been a bottom four offensive coordinator in pass attempts and usually last that's going all the way back to when he was on the 49ers as their offensive coordinator last year they were ninth so even just moving back from ninth to 15th or 20th that's probably going to not present the same opportunity for Andrews he probably had a career year last year he's still a very safe play but again I'm I think his ADP might be a little inflated for me the guy that I find myself taking if I'm taking any of these guys at ADP out of this group is Kyle Pitts And I use Mark Andrew kind of as a shield for that, where I sit there and I look at it 
And the longer Mark Andrews lasts, the more likely I am to take Kyle Pitts. Because if somebody goes and takes Mark Andrews at the end of the second or in the beginning of the third, I like Kyle Pitts as a value in the third, which is where his ADP is. So the longer Mark Andrews lasts, the better chance I have of getting Pitts. And I'm willing to take Pitts in the third. And if he's there in the fourth, I'm definitely taking him. I think this guy, I mean, as a rookie, he had a thousand receiving yards. Only guy besides Mike Dicka to do that. He plays wide receiver for 70% of his past plays. He looks like a wide receiver. They brought in Drake London to take a little pressure off him. And when we look at the Vegas over-unders, they're all pointing the over-under at 950 yards. So the experts of all experts believe that he's probably going to do it again too. We've seen Marcus Mariona with Arthur Smith make Delaney Walker a top five tight end three years in a row, all while Delaney Walker is over 30 years old. There's a lot of good things to say about this guy. He's just the kind of guy that I feel he's in the same group as the Kelsey and Andrews, and he's just the cheapest. So for me, I'm willing to go there out of this group more often than the rest of them. Yeah, I've been so wishy-washy on that. I understand a lot of the narratives that have been pointed regarding Mariota and Smith, and you've talked about the Delaney Walker production there whenever we've had these conversations my one thing with walker there is that he only had 1000 yard year every the other three year four years were under 900 yards receiving Mariota was last a starting quarterback five years ago and in i considered to be a considerable downgrade from matt ryan when it comes to just passing talent so i worry that you're taking a a tight end who is definitely a receiver and i know that he is the most talented pass catcher on that offense but I worry about the offense just in general and who's throwing him the football if he is going to give you more of the Delaney Walker we got where he was 70 catches 850 yards and five scores as an average for those five years or the ceiling Delaney Walker year which is what you're kind of hoping for where he expands upon the thousand yards that he had last I just worry a lot about this Falcons offense if they're going to be able to be as productive throwing the football, even if it's just a volume thing. Is it, is Mariota good enough as a volume thrower to get Pitts where he needs to do to pay off as a third-round ADP? I will say this. Delaney Walker was a six-round pick out of, like, central Missouri that was a backup behind Vernon Davis for seven years and then finally did something. He was, like, 6'1". Kyle Pitts is a fourth overall pick, 6'6", absolute freakazoid. So Delaney Walker being able to do that is hey, well, that's like saying Hunter Renfro was able to be a top 10 wide receiver, and now you have Devontae Adams, right? It's This is not Delaney Walker we're talking about. This is practically Calvin Johnson, the type of build this guy has. So that's what excites me. It's the upside. Sure. So it's this crazy upside of a guy who can lead his team in targets where when we get into some of these other guys, I mean, we might, with those three guys we just talked about, we might be leaving the group of guys that can actually lead their team in targets, right? I mean, who else on this list is up there because now we get into Waller where obviously it's Devontae Adams. George Kittle plays with Debo Samuel who just got a gazillion dollars. I mean, maybe Debo will be used as more of a running back, but these guys are probably not in the same position they were when they were leading their teams and targets. So for me, my personal philosophy on Darren Waller and George Kittle is that when I'm drafting, it needs to be a situation where I look at it and I say, why is Darren Waller still here? Right? Like, why is George Kittle still on the board? I guess I'll take him here. That's when I do end up drafting these guys. But it really, I really need to exhaust the list of running backs and wide receivers that I like before I'll take one of these guys, just because I few guys later just as much. So I don't I guess, know, John. So I guess my way of looking at targets is Kyle Pitts can be the number one target on the Falcons. 
but see less targets overall than Darren Waller could. But it's about what the ceiling of that is, because when you have Devontae Adams getting 150, you're probably not going to have Darren Waller also getting 150 and then Hunter Renfro also getting 100. So it's more of a ceiling play. I think sure. it's pretty safe that Waller and Kittle are probably a little safer. But again, I mean, like is... Waller had 140 targets two years ago as obviously mm-hmm. the number one receiving option on that team. Last year, if he didn't get hurt, he was on pace to, I think, even eclipse that total or come pretty close to, to breaking that. Again, I understand you're adding in Devontae Adams to take away as the leading target man. I personally think that Renfro is the one that gets knocked down from this grouping. I Agreed. Think, I don't see – I could see Waller still coming in at like 130 targets. I think they're going to throw a lot more in, in, in Las Vegas this year with McDaniels and Adams and everybody there now. But I mean, listen, I get what you're saying with Pitts. I'm just thinking, I think, and I don't think Kittle's going to be involved that much in terms of sealing target share, because I think this offense likes to run the ball, especially now more with Lance as the quarterback. They're going to, I think they're going to run a lot more RPOs. They're going to be more of a running team than they're going to be stepping back and throwing 35 a games, and that's going to hurt Kittle's target share, in my opinion, just from terms of an overall target standpoint. It's just a different way that I look at it sometimes where it's, sure, Pitts can be the number one target on this team, but if he gets 120 targets and Waller gets 130 targets, does it matter if Pitts is right. the number one target? Yeah. Now, what I will say about this crew, these last two guys, Darren Waller and George Kittle, is there a reason that they're in this, both in ADP and for us, we keep them in this tier? And that's because in best ball, they do have upside that this next group of guys doesn't have. And I'm talking about individual week upside. Right. Because no, like you look at the numbers, there's no tight end that has gotten as many 15 plus target games as Darren Waller. I mean, most of these guys will never have a single game where they get 18 targets like yeah. Darren Waller. You know what I mean? And then there's George Kittle, who over the last five years since I've been tracking it, he's the only person that has multiple multiple touchdowns of over 60 yards he's the only person that has multiple touchdowns over 70 yards he has an 85 yard touchdown this guy he has deceptive speed four five speed which is still 96 percentile and because of the way they run play action and which is going to be even crazier now with Jalen Hurts this guy can get loose and he takes it all the way to the barn which in best ball if you score an 80 yard touchdown I mean you're in the lineup Right. You wanted, that's, your, you wanted your Daniel Delaney Walker comparison. Kittle was a fifth round pick. So, you know. Right. Exactly. Dude, George Kittle, the craziest part about that pick is that they took him because they took a quarterback in the third round, CJ Beathard, and Kittle was his college tight end. So they kind of backdoored their way into George <laughs> Kittle there. It's kind of funny how that happens. When the when Washington drafted Dwayne Haskins and then they took his wide receiver, Terry McLaurin, that worked right. out pretty well on the back end. But yeah, so those guys, I mean, the. Just to wrap up that group, if you're drafting one of those five guys and you're paying that price, they all go within the top 50 picks. That means you're committed to that player and you only take one other tight end. That's the way that I'm rolling with these guys. You've When you spend that kind of capital, you have to be committed to what you've picked. Sure. Next here, I think where we separate the group, Dalton Schultz and TJ Hawkinson are the two tight ends in per ADP going after them. Schultz at 70.7, Hawk at 90.5. Schultz probably gets a little bit more of a boost, I think, now with obviously Amari Cooper's out of town. Michael Gallup's going to not begin the year healthy. He's going to be on the IL, I think, or IR, whatever it is, for the six weeks, presumably. And then James Washington just got hurt. I, I know rookie Jalen Tolbert's in there fighting as the number two receiver behind CeeDee Lamb, but you know Schultz, Schultz might be the number two target on this offense. Yeah, I mean he's definitely going to be for the early part of the season. I've never, I haven't seen a guy fall backwards into a situation like this 
since Austin Hooper, those games when Calvin Ridley was out. He's really not a physical specimen. I mean, Austin Hooper is his best comparable player on player profile. And this guy, he's not really good versus man-to-man. But like you said, this is an offense that's been top five in pass attempts in the league. They were number two last year. They led the entire league in touchdowns last year, the Cowboys did. So Dalton Chuck's like the opportunities there for him. If you can get him at the right ADP, he's such a solid pick. But I would just make sure that you go ahead when you do take Dalton Schultz. If you take Dalton Schultz or TJ Hawkinson, honestly, from this group, make sure you're uh, getting additional tight ends that have spike week potential because he's not particularly fast. So his upside is he's not particularly fast. He's not particularly good in, in man-to-man or, or breaking tackles. So his upside, he's one of those guys whose upside is two touchdowns and maybe 100 yards, but he's never going to be the guy that goes out and catches like 10 for 180, where there are some guys on here that we'll talk about later that can pull a George Kittle and break monster monster plays or be a target hog guy like Dalton Schultz, not quite that guy, but him and also Hawkinson, guys that could be top two targets on their team. Hawkinson also is going to not going to have Jamison Williams for the start of the season, kind of creating a target vacuum there for him as well. These guys are about as safe as you can get, and I'm just taking them kind of like Waller and Kittle. If I can get good value on them, I'm willing to do that. But with these guys, if I take them, I'm still going to take at least another good tight end, or I got to take three total. It's not just a set and forget it bye week type situation because, you know, we've seen these guys be kind of bland at times. Yeah, I think it's funny the sort of perception narrative of Hawkinson year to year. Last year, a lot of people were picking him to be like their breakout tight end coming off his 2020 season he had 100 targets 720 yards six scores and you're looking like who does Detroit have to catch the football right like it's going to be Hawkinson and then you come into this year and a lot of people are obviously hyping up Amon Ross St. Brown after how he finished last year and then they also brought in DJ Chark on a one-year deal they drafted Williams who's not going to be ready yet but you know it feels like more people are and even you have a little tone in my opinion that maybe you're not as you're clearly not as high on Hawkinson as you may have been last year but you're not unsure if he's like a week-to-week potential scorer for you in best ball you think that other tight ends you have to pair him up with he's not a set it and forget a guy this year exactly yeah that's where I'm at and just for anybody that's playing redraft TJ Hawkinson is a guy I'm drafting a second tight end and also oddly Darren Waller I will too and here's why both TJ Hawkinson and Darren Waller have the earliest bye weeks of any team, week six, and they have the same bye week. So if you're drafting those guys, not only do you have to kind of start thinking about who you're going to start week six, but just know that who, if you draft Hawkinson, whoever draft Waller needs to start thinking about a guy too. But you kind of have a little competition there. So something to think about. But yeah, John, you're right. I, I really expected him. Last year was his opportunity to really blow up and he didn't quite do that. And we also have to factor in the other tight end whisperer here, the original tight end whispered, Howard Bender. And I'm more of an analytics guy. Howard is much more of an eye test, talent type guy. And I can quote Howard on this because I had him on the show on lightning round. And his quote verbatim is, TJ Hawkinson sucks. <laughs> so there's a there's just a real possibility that he might not be an amazing pass catching tight end. He's a good blocking tight end. He could be more of a Dallas Goddard type, but we're getting into that crew here. But again, these are guys in, in best ball, you got to take multiple guys. So it's like, if you can just get the right value, if all the RBs and wide receivers you like are gone, just grab one of these guys and then we'll shoot shots at upside later. Yep. All right. Let's go to the next tier of tight ends here. Dallas Goddard, Dawson Knox, Zach Ertz. Goddard going at pick 99.1. Knox 104.6 and Ertz at 108. Uh, Goddard, you're talking about a guy that went from being a number one or number two target on his team to 
now fighting out to probably be the number three. Knox, you have maybe had more Twitter arguments about Dawson Knox than many have in their lifetime. And then I think Zach Ertz is getting a little bit of disrespect in some of the conversations that I've had or witnessed when it comes to it comes to his value here. So what are your thoughts on this tier? Yeah, I mean, so Dallas Goddard's just not a guy I'm drafting in any format right now, honestly. And the big stat on that is there hasn't been a tight end. And there's a couple guys this applies to. But the last time a team had two top 24 wide receivers and a top five tight end was the 2013 Broncos. And that's the year that Peyton Manning set the record for touchdown passes with 55. So like the reality of that is if Devonta Smith and AJ Brown are both good and TJ Hawk and sorry, and Dallas Goddard's also good, then whoever drafted Jalen Hurts already won the league. You know what I mean? You got this mobile quarterback who's supporting three pass catchers. It's just, it's insanity. You know what I mean? So maybe you do draft Goddard if you really are all in on Jalen Hurts and you want to do some sort of stack there. But I just don't see it unless Devonta Smith or AJ Brown completely fall off the earth. I don't see a world where Dallas Goddard's really giving you crazy upside. And yeah. you have to remember that last year, the best game that Dallas Goddard had, the best game that would have that he would have had for this format, which is best ball, the two touchdown game, that was Gardner Minshew. That wasn't even Jalen Hurts. So little concern there. I don't know if you were taking yeah, Dallas Goddard. Not, not only that, but that was also against the Jets, who I think he was wearing the invisibility cloak during that game because he was just left wide open. I'm with you. Listen, I'm very bullish on the Eagles this year. I like Jalen Hurts. I like A.J. Brown. But this still isn't a team that's going to be throwing it as much as everybody else in the league. So it feels very difficult to think that they're going to support three wide receivers. I question if they can really even support two top wide receivers. Like, I think it's going to be A.J. Brown and then Devonta Smith might sit in 800-yard range. So, like, I, I don't know where that leaves Dallas Goddard. So he has, he's been a zero draft for me. I haven't touched him at all. What are your thoughts on I mean, I feel like Knox should be in that same category People love him because of all those touchdowns. But once the touchdowns dried up last year, what did he do? Nothing. So those two tight ends for me, I'm out on. But I do think Zach Ertz can still maintain a sense of relevancy even once DeAndre Hopkins comes back. I know a lot of people will go, oh, they have Hollywood Brown. They have DeAndre Hopkins. It, to me, it just feels like Ertz is a guy that is still going to be the number two target, though. He was tight end four after the trade to Arizona last year. And I know Hopkins being injured had a lot to do with that, but he's still a very good pass catching option. He's a reliable guy that can catch the football. And Kyler Murray, I think, looks to him a lot. Hollywood Brown, to me, feels more like a guy that's going to be used as deep shots down the field once once Hopkins comes back. And then we know Hopkins is going to be kind of a target monster. If I'm picking a tight end of that group, I've been grabbing Ertz a lot when it comes to a tier where I'm going to be taking two tight ends. Yep, I'm 100% with you, man. And the thing with Dawson Knox is that in this particular format where you are touchdown dependent, I mean, he is pretty good versus man-to-man. -man. They do a lot of that RPO stuff that gets the tight ends open, and they definitely are, are testing the limits of sending linemen downfield. I just want to get this out of the way, Th that when they run those RPOs, those linemen are at times going downfield. They even got called for it against the Patriots in the playoffs. And that that if you can get away with doing that, it sucks the linebackers in because the linebackers first read is to say, okay, the linemen can't go downfield on pass plays. If they're going downfield, this is a run. But you know, if you can get away with it, you can really crush people. And that the bills are great at that. So I don't mind if other people take Dawson Knox in this format, because it's okay. But like you said, I like guys like Zach Ertz better. And I like guys in this next tier better than Knox too. So I'm just not taking him. It's an ADP thing, right? Uh, yep. With Zach Ertz, the guy was, he had the second most not only is he a super reliable guy in terms of targets on a weekly basis and just getting giving you a floor, but 
He had the second most red zone targets of any tight end tied for the third most end zone targets of any tight end last year. So they like him in that capacity. And I was looking at the over-unders. I know I like looking at those just to see what Vegas thinks because, you know, if, if you work for Vegas and you're setting the wrong over-unders, you lose your job. So it's a take it very seriously over there with what the numbers are setting. Marquise Brown, they only have it like 875 yards. So it's not like they're projecting Marquise Brown to go over there and be a monster either. So like of this group, I'm just, like you said, no Dallas Goddard, no Dawson Knox because of Ertz is in that same group. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, You know, the one thing with Knox, we talk about it in best ball. Yeah, touchdowns are fine. But you can't, we talk about all the time, like touchdowns are the most unpredictable stat when it comes to fantasy performance, mm-hmm. right? Like you can't just bank on Dawson Knox finding the end zone. If he's giving you really nothing else other than that, it's just such a flow floor for him that I, again, a guy that I've generally been avoiding. You mentioned you like this next tier though. So Irv Smith, Cole Komet, Pat Fryermuth, Mike Gesicki, and Hunter Henry. I know there's a couple that you don't like of this group. So which ones are you crossing off your list? Yeah, so I'm just not taking Irv Smith Jr. You mentioned to me, I didn't even realize he had hand surgery recently. That's right away. You just want to avoid, you want guys that are healthy right now when you're drafting. Like we can't predict who's going to get hurt and who's not, but we can know who is healthy right now. So that's a little bit scary. And on top of that, Adam Thielen's still there. Justin Jefferson's still there. We know that the vast majority of tight ends that finished top five are top two targets on their team. The exceptions were basically Robert Tunyon, who had 11 touchdowns on only 59 targets, the exact kind of guy you're talking about where it's, you can't predict when he's going to score. If you were trying to win a million dollars in best ball mania and you had Robert Tunyon, it was great up until championship week when he caught one pass and it wasn't a touchdown. So it's some of these guys are going to score touchdowns, but you're not going to know when. So I'm not really a big fan of Irv Smith as the third target there. Cole Komet, the next guy though, easily a top two target on that team, right? Like he was last year, he had 93 targets. So sometimes maybe what you want to do if you're going to, if you like taking a touchdown dependent guy like Dawson Knox is turn around and take a guy that has a bunch of targets and gives you a good floor like Cole Komet. He had zero touchdowns last year, but when you look at the rest of that group, Jimmy Graham, Jesse James, these guys, even Jesper Horstead, they quietly got a bunch of random red zone and end zone targets. Those guys, those tight ends combined for six touchdowns. Every one of those guys is off the team now. So it's Cole Komet time. It's Cole Komet season. He is the kind of guy that makes me never draft Dallas Goddard, never draft Dawson Knox. I don't draft Eric Smith. I don't draft Pat Fryermuth or Mike Gusecki, which suffer from the same thing as Dallas Goddard. Unless you think he's their top two targets on the team, you can't take those guys. So because Cole Komet is in that group, I don't. it, it just crosses so many guys off the list for me. I don't know about you with Cole Komet. I know the floor is kind of scary, but the upside, it, it's so clear. Yeah, I'm with you there. I've been taking Cole Komet as if I'm going and waiting on the tight end. Komet's a guy that I've been pairing up with Ertz as that sort of one-two punch. Or if yes. I'm starting off in this tier, I'll grab both Komet and Hunter Henry as yes. like the two tight ends from this group and have that be my tight end duo. So I'm with you. I like Komet. I think that you look at the pass catchers in that offense, kind of scary. Like right. After Darnell Mooney, you have Cole Komet, you have Elvis Jones, you have Nikhil Harry, yeah. like... A bunch of like double question marks. Uh, who and, cares? And then Cole Komet. So it feels like Komet is for sure the number two option here, unless Jones sort of breaks out. Now, they did use a second round pick on him, so maybe, but uh, you know, that's where I'm at. Yeah. Here's my thoughts on Hunter Henry it's that there's two paths to top five tight end, right? 90 plus targets 
or 90 plus targets or 10 plus touchdowns. This is the famous stat, John, the famous yeah. Randy McMichael stat. Every tight end that finished top five in PPR going back to Randy McMichael in 2003 has had 90 plus targets or 10 plus touchdowns. And last year, Hunter Henry was a top two target on the team, meaning that the 90 targets is within the range of outcomes. And he had nine touchdowns, which means 10 touchdowns with the, with, within the range of outcomes. He's coming at it from both angles, whereas some of these other guys aren't. You're, you either need the targets or you're hoping that a Dawson Knox gets the touchdowns, but you're not expecting both Hunter Henry at this ADP I like because he can kind of get you there either way. So from this whole group, going from TJ Hawkinson down, so you got Goddard, Knox, Ertz, Smith, Komet, Muth, Seki, Hunter Henry. I'm really only taking Ertz, Komet, Hunter Henry, and I'm very happy to get two of them if I can. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and you look at some of the reports out of camp and Henry and, and Jones are still connecting pretty often. So it feels like at the very least, Devontae Parker is there now, likely going to be the league team leader in targets if he can stay healthy. But Henry is still having that connection with Mac Jones. So feels pretty safe there as well. Next tier, we have Albert O. We got Gerald Everett. We have David and Joku. The Watson suspension, I think, plays the biggest into this tier because if he's only suspended for six games or eight games, then I like Ninjoku just knowing that at some point he's going to have a potential top five quarterback throwing him the football. Like him a lot less if it's going to be Jacoby Brissett or if something tragic happens, Josh Rosen throwing him the football for a season out there. But Albert O is probably the one that's climbing the most following the Tim Patrick injury news. Yeah, that's going to be, I think that's really going to turn into this year's trap play, the Alberto one, because people were already on him. He's got the physical profile in terms of speed and athleticism. People were already kind of on him, but the thing about it is he, Tim Patrick getting hurt doesn't necessarily make him a top two target on the team. Like Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, those two are probably going to lead this team in targets. There's also been whispers that the rookie Greg Dulcich is kind of creeping his way into the equation here. And when I look at, uh, you got to put yourself in the position of these uh, tight end coaches, whoever's coaching the tight end room. When he looks around the room and says, okay, we need two tight end sets here. Who's going to block? Who's going to be in the slot? Kind of like with Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. Even if Dallas Goddard was better at catching passes than, than Zach Ertz was, Dallas Goddard had to play the inline role because he was better at blocking and Ertz got to play in the slot. When I look at that room, Albert O is like 6'6", 260, and Greg Dulcich is more of a move tight end. He's built like 6'4", 245 or so. He's a converted wide receiver. So I just don't see any world where if they go two tight end sets, Albert O isn't the one that ends up doing the blocking. So for me, I'm staying away from Albert O. Gerald Everett in the same tier. I mean, we're talking about as touchdown dependent as it's probably going to get just because not only are we looking at Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, but Austin Eckler himself basically puts up the receiving stats of someone like Tyler Boyd. They had a, almost identical targets last year, Tyler Boyd and Austin Eckler. He is, he is the third wide receiver on that team, if not the second, which puts Gerald Everett in pretty much the same position as Jared Cook. And you never really felt that great about Jared Cook in general, did you? He was just a guy that either scored or he didn't. And there's so many guys out here that are in that score or didn't category that I could do without it. And Joku, again, it's there's so much uncertainty with the suspension. He could be the top two target on the team. I think he is after Mari Cooper. Still kind of interesting with Jones. Is it going to be yeah. David Bell? I've seen again the reports like. 
Kareem Hunt is working with receivers. And we saw, we heard that last year too. It wasn't really anything. So I think that's the biggest red herring ever is that Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard's working with the receiving group. Sure, because they want him to catch the football every now and then. He's not going to be out there split wide on enough snaps that that's going to matter, in my opinion. We saw Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt's working with the slot receivers. Okay, he wasn't lining up in slot last year. He was playing his normal role, so. Exactly. I mean, there's just, that's the thing is, unless you're Christian McCaffrey, you're just not better at playing receiver than a lot of these receivers. That's right. why it's so difficult to change positions in this league. It's such a, like, even, they, they talk about how difficult it is to go from playing guard to tackle. You know what I mean? It's just, it's such a niche Some tackles game. can't play the other tackle side. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's such a niche game. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like you're learning all these new tricks to the trade. Like it, it's just, it's not something that is realistic for me. So I don't predict that kind of thing to happen. I know the Tony Pollard truthers out there are, are still doing their best. And Pollard's a good player. It's just, he needs a better opportunity. Yeah, I agree. I agree yeah, with I, you there. I'm avoiding that. I mean, Njoku, worth a stab. If you really whiff on tight end say you just completely miss on this entire group because i've had it happen where like it just goes people feel the same as me it goes Ertz commit henry i will grab Njoku. i know you did it in the scott fishbowl right yeah. because you gotta now you gotta just if you get to this range and you don't have anything at all now you just gotta think about who could be a top two target on their team and, and start shooting those shots yeah uh, if, but, if you're looking at just his overall metrics i mean Njoku is physically a tight end that should be a uh, a mismatch problem for the majority of defenses, right? He's a freakazoid. 250 pounds. He runs a 4640. All of his player profile percentiles are like in the 90s or in that range. He's just been very inconsistent. He's gotten hurt. He's had bad quarterback play. But, you know, we go back to his best season, 2018. He had 89 targets, 630 yards. If he now finds himself back into a prominent pass catching role, I think that he's worth a late round flyer where he's going. Because right now, like you said, you're not, in you're not investing a ton of draft capital in him. Pick 155. That's a late round. Yeah. So 12, 13 round pick. So. Right. And they, so I saw some comments from him recently that kind of hint that he will be used more in a pass catching role. He basically said, I like blocking. I had to learn how to love blocking because I was put in a position where you, I either had to sit back and sulk or I had to learn to love blocking. So I loved it. He goes, that was kind of 2020, 2021. That's what he said. And it just so happened that 2020 and 2021 were the exact years where Austin Hooper was there, you know? So I think he basically just said, Hey, I had to learn how to love blocking while this guy was here, but now he's gone. So it's David and Joku time. So definitely more interested in him this year than I've ever been. And like you said, the guy's a physical freak. He's you know not Vernon Davis, but I mean, when you look at the guy, he's yoked. So anyway, that's a tier in its own in terms of ADP. And now we're getting into picks like 160 to 200 where let's see if you're doing a normal underdog draft it's 216 picks total so these are the kind of guys where if you want one there's forget adp anyone from this group here if you like them you just got to take them because they go all over the place especially when i'm in the draft because i'll uh, as you john some of these guys on this list i'm willing to take a lot higher than where they're going yeah we'll just let the cat out of the bag here early why are you looking at Evan Ingram and what do you expect from him in the Jacksonville Jaguars offense this year? I mean, dude, the thing with Evan Ingram, the show, and I've got a full article on it out there, so I'm not going to take up too many, too much people's time. You should go check it out. Evan Ingram, the man, the myth, the legend is the name of the article on there, which is a little facetious because, you know, I know people don't love this guy, but we're talking about a guy who was, he's arguably the fastest tight end in the league. He's 40 times faster than Kyle Pitts, faster than everybody else's 100th percentile speed at 4-4 speed. He was a top five tight end with Eli Manning in Eli Manning's last year is shell, the shell of Eli Manning. 
He was top five in receptions just a year ago at, for a tight end with Daniel Jones, even while the team was dead last in touchdowns. That's why he got voted to the Pro Bowl by the players and coaches. The fans voted for TJ Hawkinson and and Robert Tunyon. The players and coaches sent Evan Ingram. And it's because it, everyone's joking about it. The guy who caught the fifth most target touched, I'm sorry, the fifth most receptions of any tight end. It's just the fact that they were dead last in touchdowns that he didn't have a lot of touchdowns. This guy has the physical tools and he's escaping that situation, going to a team where he could be the top target on the team. I mean, there's no set rules. Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones, Zay Jones, we don't know. He, he has a very low floor, but the ceiling is higher than anyone else in this group. That's why for me, I'm willing to take a stab on Evan Ingram in just about every single league. My exposure to this player is super high just because in this group, you can't point at another guy that could be the top target on his team. And it's hard to even find another one who could be top two. That's what we want upside. Who cares about floor in this range, right? Yeah, I agree with you. So the other guys in this range, we have Robert Tunney and we have Tyler Higby, Noah Fant, the entrant Evan Ingram, Hayden Hurst, Austin Hooper, Taysom Hill, and Brevin Jordan. We uh, we got the report, obviously, from Houston. They're supposedly naming Farrell Brown or did name Farrell Brown as their starting tight end. They mentioned his ability to block, but also that he liked catching. He was really good recently at catching the football. He had a few touchdown catches during practice. A lot of people were in on Brevin Jordan this late. We, we You and I talked about it. We had a little Twitter, Reddit thread going as well. But does that news at all worry you about the Brevin Jordan value? No, because we already knew like where we stood with Brevin Jordan, right? John Mechie, unfortunately, diagnosed with leukemia. He's out for the season. So that basically leaves only a handful of guys that could be the second target on the team after Brandon Cooks. We like Nico Collins. I like Brevin Jordan. The thing about a guy like Farrell Brown is that he doesn't present the upside with his skill set to really himself become that viable of a player. So all he can really do, in my opinion, is clog things up for Brevin Jordan, in which case Brevin Jordan ends up being a guy like pretty much anybody else in this group. But he has that upside to potentially be the pass-catching tight end of this group, the Zach Ertz to Farrell Browns, Dallas Goddard, or if... Imagine some crazy scenario where Farrell Brown is Nick Boyle, the blocking tight end, and Brevin Jordan is Mark Andrews. I mean, obviously, he it might not be Mark Andrews, but that type of role, I mean, that that's what you're shooting for with that pick. That's why I like Brevin Jordan, right? That's why I like him more than, say, Hayden Hurst, who we just talked about how Austin Eckler maybe being Tyler Boyd is terrible for Gerald Everett. How about Tyler Boyd being Tyler Boyd, being right. a problem for Hayden Hurst? So. I'm not super interested there. Noah Fant is in the same situation he's been in with the same quarterback. At this ADP, still has, though, still has John. Locker, still has Metcalf now to deal with. Yeah, but the thing is, the crazy thing is that Noah Fant, like, it's kind of, it's so weird how the perceptions flip like this, where it's, we thought Noah Fant would have high upside and we were disappointed when he was tight in 12. But now he's got the same quarterback. He's the third target on the team, which he already kind of was. And I guess technically most years he was the second target on the team because Sutton was hurt and Judy wasn't on the yep. team. So, yeah, I just hear him. Last not... year, Judy was hurt for the most of the year. Yeah, yeah. So, Fant, we probably got to stay away the from. The problem with Fant is that he has everything that, that it needs to take physically to be, like, one of the best tight ends in football. Like, you look at all – you like the reference player profile, a 4-5-40, a 97th percentile speed, 97th percentile burst, 96th percentile agility, 99th percentile catch radius, 6'4", 250-pound, he has he's a horse, but yeah. he's in who's his, horrible. Who's his best situations. comparable player? Uh, they have him as George Kittle, 
which is well, interesting because Kittle's right there in terms of speed and everything like that. He's, he's more saying, athletic than Kittle. He's more he athletic feel, than Kittle. He feels more athletic than Kittle, but a Kittle is right there with all those percentiles as well. 96 and 40th, 96 in speed, 90th in burst, a little bit down, 99th in agility, 96 in catch radius, and they're the same height and weight. So why did so why does Kittle go in the fifth round? And Fant goes in the first round. Maybe Fant goes in the first round because Kittle did. Kittle did so well. I think Kittle goes where he goes because he's used it in a better situation, right? No, Fant- I mean, I mean, in the real NFL draft, oh, these oh. guys are identical. George Kittle win the fifth round of the draft. Noah Fant win the first. Both of them played in Iowa. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's because George Kittle became George Kittle. Yeah, two, and they two said, "Hey, there's later, another." Two years later, Noah Fant was taken in the first round at Iowa. Yeah, who's the tight end? out at iowa because that dude needs you know what i mean like that that man real though because hawkinson was also at iowa at the same time as noah fan like that is insanity so yeah you get that yeah patriot so that guy may have recruited hawkinson fant and kittle i imagine that it's the same dude i mean whoever this guy is he's the real tight end whisperer right He's like the Steelers wide receiver coach. That's just, that's the guy. Yeah, you know? yeah, Antonio, Antonio Brown fell due to off the field issues, but you know. But I mean, Emmanuel Sanders, yeah. they've had, as a Patriots fan, I'm jealous because they've let more amazing wide receivers walk away than we've ever had. I mean, like they had Antoine Randall L, yeah. Heinz Ward, Mike Williams. I mean, like the list goes up and down. Juju, like all these guys they have now, they have a whole new crop of them. Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson. They, yeah. They're just they're coming out of their Pickens, ears. Claypool, yeah, exactly. It's insanity, man. I mean, my Davis Bryant probably would have been the best Patriots wide yeah. receiver in 10 years. Right. You know what I mean? It's just crazy to me. Yeah, what was the, the meme last year? Martavis Bryant died so Chase Claypool could live? <laughs> Seriously, though. I mean, they have no problem with the attitude guys over no. there. Claypool is definitely. They just believe in, they believe in Tomlin being able to wrangle them, wrangle them in. So. Has anyone ever seen Chase Claypool and that rapper 6ix9ine in the same room together? Because <laughs> like, these giving off similar vibes those two yeah all right uh, so let's get to our dart throw tight ends here these are guys that are going late in drafts your maybe your third tight end most likely being selected here and i don't think you're gonna settle in as any of these guys as your number two why don't you go over some of the targets here that you're looking at yeah so out of that group i like ingram i like brevin hill i also like austin hooper i'm hearing a lot of good things in terms of just from ryan Tannehill himself about things he's learned from austin hooper how they stay after practice working on timing routes. The thing about Hooper is he's not a bad player. He just was overpaid. So now he goes and he got a bigger contract than Hayden Hurst did to go play for a team where there's probably going to be more targets available to him. So I don't mind that play. Now, the real question we got to get into, John, I want to hear your opinion on it quick, is the Colts tight end situation. Because that is a situation where there is a path to being the second target after Michael Pittman but we don't really know what's going on there. So, I mean, what have you been hearing from camp? What are your thoughts with that group? Yeah, so I think going into it, we were kind of buying in on the Kylan Granson experience. We were looking at the tight end room here that they have in Indy and sort of also just the receiving room that they have in Indy as well. And after Pittman, it felt like there was open opportunity for somebody to step up and be that guy. I know they drafted Alec Pierce. They still have Paris Campbell, which everybody's already talking about again. Can't ever stay healthy. But Granson is a guy that they drafted last year in the fourth round. Has a little bit of size. Can play that sort of Burton role that we saw a few years ago. Profiles definitely as a pass catcher, not as a blocker. Mo Ali Cox is the starting tight end for that team. But we know Cox is more of a, he's a much better blocker. It feels like Dan, but he, and he used a pass catcher out of necessity for this offense over the last couple of years. They also drafted this year Jelani Woods. But if you look at some of the play, the profile write-ups on Jelani Woods, 
He's a guy that, that profiles more again as a blocker, more of a Mo Alley Cox type. So Granson's a guy that I was taking some darts throws on as my third tight end if I was sort of doing the late two tight end stack. But then you get some reports out of camp that he's he's struggled at times. I think the actual quote was he's looked lost at times, which is never what you want to hear. That's like Tavon Austin stuff, right? From a report, right. Like, you don't want to hear a guy that's guy's looking lost in year mm. two in a system that didn't change. All they did was change quarterback and system. Offensive yeah. system still the same. You shouldn't be looking lost ever. So that's a, that's a problem. So that's where I would like Kylan Granson to, to take that opportunity, and maybe he still will. There's still plenty of preseason games to be played for him to get into some real competition and shine through. But for overall, I am now probably more likely fading this Colts tight end position because I don't group. I don't want to draft Mo Ali Cox because I just don't I just don't think that he's ever going to be that number two guy. They'll uh, throw I, to the receivers before they throw at throw to Mo Ali Cox eighty times. I mean, they're doing it the wrong way. You take the basketball player and you make him a blocking tight end. That's not how this is supposed to work, John. What are they doing? You're man? supposed to follow the Antonio Gates method and exactly you know, like Jimmy Graham. So I yeah I, I'm with you on that. I talked to Jacob Sanderson. He's a good analyst over at Player Profiler. Even if we argue all the time on Twitter, he's a good friend. So it's good to have people like that to keep you in check. And I, so I talked to him about the situation because he's a big Colts fan, and he like listening to him talk about this Colts situation made me feel exactly the way I feel about the Texans, where I don't want Mo Ali Cox. I don't want Jelani Woods. Uh, the only one I want is Kylan Granson. If he's good, he'll be – he has the highest ceiling. If he's nothing, he has a low floor. But that's the only one that's worth a stab on at any point. But it's got to be late to be in that situation. So in this group here, there's not a whole lot when you get deep. If you're in a break glass in case of emergency situation, which this does happen in best ball. Say you go out and you go through pretty much the whole draft and you're coming into the 18th round and you look at your roster and you realize you took two tight ends and they both have the same bye week. And you now you just need to get a third guy. Of this group, Logan Thomas is a guy who he's going to start slow coming off the ACL. If it matches up with the bye weeks in that situation, this is a guy that played virtually every snap. And when I say virtually, last year in the first three games, he played literally 100% of those snaps. He's, you know, if he comes back healthy, he's going to be involved. There's no question about it. Going through some of these other guys, I mean, you could take a stab on Daniel Bellinger with the Giants. He's a rookie tight end with the Giants, but apparently he's running with the ones and there's talk that Ricky Seals Jones could be released. It's at this point, you're getting into pretty deep territory, but you got to take a little bit of a stab somewhere. And then I guess one that if you really wanted to differentiate yourself from everybody else by taking a guy that no one's really drafting is Harrison Bryant. Kind of intriguing in big or deep tournaments. It's a very last pick in that the Browns used more two tight end sets than any other team in the league last year. And they used three tight end sets at times and they went out and pretty much they got Amari Cooper. But as you mentioned, not really super exciting options after that. David Bell is starting on the pup list. So there's a good chance they do use a lot of two tight end sets. And in this range, there's not a lot of guys that are even potentially the third target on their team. Harrison Bryant could be a little sneaky. So just a name where if things get real dicey at the end and you have to do something, maybe go there. I guess to wrap it up, the very last name I have to mention is that the I think the most interesting free agent tight end outside of Rob Gronkowski is Eric Ebron. I think he can still potentially go somewhere and contribute a little pass catching, but you can't draft him until he goes somewhere. So well, don't how be are you approaching that. drafting Logan Thomas? Not. By, I'm approaching him by not doing it. It's just... I mean, in re regular redraft leagues, like 
this is my thought on regular redraft leagues. If I have a regular redraft league that has multiple IR spots, I'll grab him with my last pick, immediately put him in an IR spot, and then add somebody off waivers. You know what I mean? That's what I'm doing with him. But we just don't know when he's going to be healthy. So without a better timeline, it's tough to take him in best ball. I don't know, John. Are you willing to do it? It's, uh, the upside is, I mean, look at, we look at this group of names, man. Like, I am not. I would rather draft him than Tyler, even Tyler Higby, I guess. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, for me, it all depends on if we do get a timeline or not. If we find out, all right, he's going to go on the pup to start the year, but by week seven, he could be back. I would take a stab on him as your third tight end. I mean, he's going to come back and he's going to vie for top two targets on the team. I mean, I know they have Jahan Dotson there, but if he's healthy, if Logan Thomas is healthy and back and ready to go in the second half of the year, like in my opinion, he's going to be right there. So yeah. I wouldn't mind taking a dart throw on him if I'm in a late best ball and he's the last pick or something like that. Yeah, I will say this. So I was looking for Logan Thomas updates recently. Every tight end on that team is hurt. Yeah, like it's not that. just like you saw that too. It's like Sam's race, the converted, I think it was a quarterback before. He's got a hammy. I forget John Bates has a, a calf or something. The rookie they took also out. It's just, they. I don't know what they're doing in practice without tight ends just kind of running four wide receiver sets, but kind of interesting. Also, I saw Curtis Samuel. There was some questions about his conditioning over there. So we, I know, we, man. We, had a small window where we were like, you know what? Curtis Samuel maybe be something. And then it's like, all right, he's back to being Curtis Samuel. So. I know, man. Yeah, I swear, John, if, if we've got these guys, man, if they can stay healthy, Devontae Parker, some of our guys like Sterling Shepard, these guys, they flash, but they just can't stay healthy, man. It's a tough game. So yep. tough situation. But I think, yeah, is there anybody else you want to talk about? We got pretty deep there. Yeah, I got no, the... no other tight ends. Dan Arnold, but I know you're. You yeah. Know, that flies yeah, well, well, Evan Ingram. So I will say, though, I will say with Dan Arnold is that I personally believe that he is a trade candidate when roster cut down time comes simply because his contract is set up in a way where they, if they cut him, they save nothing. But if they were to trade him, they save more than half that contract. And it's like a $2.5 million contract. I think they save $1.5 million. So if it comes down to roster cutdown day and the Patriots have done this in the past with guys like Jacob Hall. I mean, we just traded to kill Harry because if we cut him, we save nothing. If we trade him, we save $650,000. So we traded him for nothing just to save the money. I think Dan Arnold could be in that situation where he could land somewhere. So kind of, there's a little, there's a little angle to be he played there. He was like productive when they threw in the football last year. So yes. Yeah. Uh, I think he's like a better Anthony Ferkser. He's like a better version of Anthony Ferkser and Cameron Brait where once you realize that he's not going to give you anything blocking, but he is like a big slot, you know what I mean? He's like a, he's somewhere in between Anthony Ferkser and Mike Kosecki, right? Like you, you just want, you want him to be that big slot receiver and you know what he is. Like a team could take advantage of him. His, you had uh, Chan Gailey. player is Gerald Everett. Yeah. Bring back Chan Gailey to be the offensive coordinator. Use him as big slot. Now you got a stew going. Yep. 97 percentile burst score, 93 percentile agility, 95 percentile catch radius. Give Dan Arnold a chance. Give him a chance, man. That's the, Dan Arnold is a guy like you and me. We go. His whole career has been so back and forth because the hype goes up and we don't like him. And then, like last year, he when he got traded to the Jaguars, we were like, "Whoa, where's the? Where, why isn't everyone getting excited? This is a perfect situation." And then, yeah, it's just it's all over the place. Into a team that, that was forcing James O'Shaughnessy down our throat. Like, I mean, we were yeah. stoked that they got an actual pass catching tight end. Yeah, and then he was good, but then he got hurt. And it's just crazy that it's... And then he's in that situation, and then they pay Evan Ingram $9 million. It's like, the guy can't catch a break. Put him somebody somewhere where he can succeed. Yeah, yeah. before his injury, not counting his... He got traded and debuted the same week, so we won't count the Cincinnati game. 
But right. from following that, he played four. He had five straight weeks. Four of those five weeks, he had 60-plus yards receiving. He had eight, seven or more tar- uh, receptions. Sorry, seven or more targets in, in uh, four of those five games as well. So, like, they went out there and just started throwing to Dan Arnold. Yeah. So, yeah. Just something to throw out there. He finds his way onto a team that will actually utilize his skill set. Maybe there's some value. So. Right. Maybe uh, someday. But that wraps up the tight end position. Coop, any final words for the people at home? No, that's just make sure that you're keeping track and getting your two to three because you don't want to be in a situation where you're saying, oh, my God, I got to take down on. So watch your bye weeks and get that money and draft Evan Ingram. Do yourself a favor. He's going to be a beast. Yeah, Yeah, no propaganda there. Draft Evan Ingram. Check out all the free content (laughs) over at Fantasy Slam, though. Our draft guide is free. The cheat sheet is free. This year, uh, there's uh, really no better time to prepare for your draft. And then right now, we have a fantastic deal going on as well. We have our all-access pro package monthly subscription. Buy now with code NFL50 in your first six months. Just $19.98 a month. So you're saving about $20 a month off the top there if you for the first six months if you take advantage of that deal. So check it out. Go to fantasylime.com, go to the pricing page, click on the monthly all pro access package and putting code NFL 50 at checkout first six months for $19.99. But for Coop and I, we'll catch you guys later. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on prize picks. The most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com/get100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.